1: Here is your host, John Odermatt.
2: Felons, friends, and freedom lovers, welcome back to another edition of Felony Friday, right here on the Lions of Liberty podcast. Felony Friday is, of course, the show where each and every single Friday I focus on exposing injustice in this nation's broken criminal justice system. And if this is your first time stumbling upon the Lions of Liberty podcast feed, we have been running some uh, advertisements on a couple libertarian podcasts, so welcome if it's your first time listening to this show. This is one of three shows we have here on Lions of Liberty. Every Monday, we have our oldest show, hosted by Mark Clare, the OG Lions of Liberty podcast. And Mark interviews leading minds in the liberty movement hosts roundtable discussions about once a month. We call that show Libertarians in Living Rooms Drinking Liquor. And then every Wednesday, we have Electric Liberty Land, hosted by Brian McWilliams. That show is your weekly shot of culture, comedy, and liberty. And this, of course, is Felony Friday, as you know, and this is the 102nd episode so that means you'll be able to find the show notes page with links and notes to everything that I'm going to talk about today with my guest at lionsofliberty.comslash slash FF102. And be sure to subscribe on iTunes to get all three of these shows in your podcast feed. I want to tell you guys about our sponsor for today's show. We are sponsored once again by Health Excellence Plus. Health Excellence Plus is an incredible free market alternative to your standard corporate health insurance. You can find out more about Health Excellence Plus at lionsofliberty.com slash health. My guest on today's episode of Felony Friday is Aaron David Seidel. I first heard of Aaron's story in the Rights for Felons forum, which is the forum that I'm the admin of on Facebook and Come and join. We talk about criminal justice reform all day, every day. So come join the conversation. I will get you approved and get you in. And Aaron posted a petition, a petition for his own pardon in that forum. And of course, with the petition was his story. I read his story. And as soon as I read it, I knew that I had to have Aaron come on this show and share his story because it is powerful. And Aaron's story is a little bit different than a lot of the other felons I've had on the show to share their injustice, to share their struggles. See, Aaron committed a a violent crime. He was convicted of attempted murder for shooting his then stepfather at the time. But see, there were extenuating circumstances surrounding this. There was abuse and all kinds of other things, a terrible living environment that Aaron was subjected to as a child. Ultimately, due to the attempted murder, Aaron was sentenced to five years in prison. He got the Lesser sentence because the judge gave some leniency due to these mitigated circumstances that I just referenced. And after Aaron got out, he dedicated his life to self-actualization. He passed his GED. He went to a technical school, and eventually, he uh, went to a. He was able to get accepted into a undergraduate program where he's very close to getting his his degree. And he's going to graduate with multiple degrees, a degree in environmental geoscience, and a degree in applied mathematics. And he has ambitions to go on to graduate school and join the military and all that stuff. But his options are very limited, and it's very hard to get into graduate school and get into a a PhD program or even join the military with that felony on your record. So this is why Aaron is petitioning Ohio Governor John Kasich for a full pardon. And this is why I wanted to have Aaron on Felony Friday to talk about his story, to talk about his struggles, to talk about what he's been through. So Aaron, welcome to Felony Friday.
1: Thank you very much, John. I appreciate the opportunity to be able to tell my story and uh, reach out to other people who are uh, you know, going maybe similar situations or uh, have empathy for People who are struggling uh, with a few of the obstacles posed by uh, civil disabilities.
2: Yeah, and that's that's what this show is is all about is is giving people like yourself the opportunity in an uncensored way to share your story to get it out there and and in your case um, really sharing your story hopefully can have a a, a direct benefit by helping you to get this pardon but via petition to get it in front of governor case in in ohio and we've had on a lot of different a lot of people with different backgrounds uh, with different crimes they've committed different reasons they spent time in prison um, from drug crimes to uh to fraud to to all kinds of different things i I think you're the first one that we've had on who spent time in prison for attempted murder and i want to start off by by talking about that but i guess actually before we get into that I think it's probably best to, to talk about the circumstances that led up to that. So maybe a good place to start would be if you could share some about, about your upbringing.
1: Sure. Uh, I had uh, good a and, good and bad times, I think like anyone. Um, but uh, the, the bad times were, I think, darker than, than most people would experience. Um, you know, I, I didn't uh, have uh, my father in my life too much uh, growing up. And, you know, my, my mother had Remarried a man who I I look to um, in many ways as as a father figure and uh, throughout the years um, It was hard uh, very confusing seeing a man that you um, Wanted to love and admire and and look up to um, do uh, the things that he did Um, You know to my mother to myself uh, then to my younger brothers and my sister and uh, this was Ongoing for uh, 13 years, uh, from we stayed in battered woman shelters, uh, put restraining orders, um, hospitalized, uh, and you know this grew up regularly with three days a week uh, having social workers in the house uh, documenting everything we did and, and uh, always being watched and and so this just um, you know escalated to uh, to a point and uh, there was just a, a accumulation of events over a long period of time and in which my family reached out in every legal way possible, um, to remedy this situation. Um, it just help never came in, in the way that we needed it to. You know, I, I, don't, I don't look to morally justify, uh, my crime. I, I think it's a mistake to try and, uh, approach this topic in that way. Um, I, I think that <clears throat> looking at a person cumulatively, Uh, Over the course of their lifetime, is a better way to represent a person uh, than than by looking at sort of their lowest uh, point or their minimum. And and I, uh, I'm asking uh, with this pardon process that I be seen as those accumulation of events and and not just based on on just the low uh, in. You know, I I can't sway anyone's moral disposition as as to, uh, you know, the nature of my crime, whether it was right or wrong, justified or unjustified. Um, I don't think that that's too much the important question here at this point. I I think that the important question um, is the person that I am today. You know, I wasn't given a life sentence. Uh, I was given a a punishment that was considered just uh, by a United States court and I paid the price in full for that, and uh, to me justice has more faces than just punishment. Um, And and at this stage I I argue that uh, I have been rehabilitated and that allowing me to realize uh, my potential will be a net positive for society and in no way does it put uh, the public at greater risk by restoring my civil rights so that I may pursue um, my career.
2: So was it the judge who was who gave you the the five year sentence? Were the prosecutors pushing for more at the time?
1: Uh, no. Uh, so as everyone really is overindicted. I mean, when you commit a crime, they're, they're going to give you a laundry list of charges. Um, you know, all for the same action. And uh, you know how it works is you're you're taken into a room and. You know, you're you're read a list of all your charges and you're asked to take a plea bargain and this saves the state money. It saves the court time and they're able to process a larger number of inmates that way. And and so we're all given a deal. Uh, however, when you're sentenced, um, you are you know not allowed to say that you were given that deal. And so you're asked if you were promised anything. And of course, you say no. Uh, but everyone was. Uh, the prosecutors met with me and, and uh, you know, told me they they really weren't out for blood on this. Uh, the mitigating circumstances made everything uh, pretty ugly and it was just going to be a, a pretty drawn out thing. But at 18 years old, you know, I I didn't have the, you know, the experience. And uh, I, you know, I was told that, look, you're facing 35 years. If you take this to trial and you tell your story, they're going to find you guilty on everything. And you're going to spend your whole life in prison. Um, this is your only shot out and you either take it now or you know you'll regret it for the rest of your life and and so i just you know i pled guilty And um, in hindsight i mean i was guilty i was guilty of of the crime that i was accused of committing and and so i you know i don't really beat myself up for not taking it to court i think at the time I, i really wanted to just to be able to tell my story i just wanted it to be exposed that children family services and all these other uh, different government institutions that were put in place to protect families uh, failed mine for a very long time. We were overlooked. Uh, and you know, I'm, I'm not blaming them for what happened, but I, I'm saying that those things could have been prevented uh, had a responsible professional or adult been involved in the situation at any point. Um, unfortunately, my my own mother, uh, you know, a good woman, uh, but uh, mentally and emotionally was just unable to deal with the realities of the situation so, what,
2: what were some examples of, of failures that you saw from the state services
1: well you uh, know i I was hospitalized uh, my sister was hospitalized uh, restraining orders present um, my mother's countless uh, calling of, of the police um, all of my brothers and my sister by the ages of 10 and 11 years old were diagnosed with post-traumatic stress disorder and most people are familiar with that but uh, they associate that with uh, soldiers coming back who've seen war and, and battle. Um, to associate that same uh, ailment to a child who's ten and eleven years old who uh, should not have experienced the trauma um, to the level that you know they they are in need of medication and treatment for it. I mean, if you're medically treating children who live in a house with a, a man who's responsible for you know this type of distress, I will never you know no matter how much time passes look back and I, I don't know who um was in charge of the case i mean obviously children family services is not uh very forthcoming with uh you know the old files but um somebody just didn't do their job for a long time and and this was just overlooked time and time again um
2: so so there was never there were never any charges brought against your stepfather
1: Oh, yeah, there were. Um, You know, they were uh, domestic violence, um, I believe, countless times. um, And there were probations issued. Uh, You know, I I actually never looked at the official charges he received. I know that he was removed from the house numerous times. Uh, Like I said, there were restraining orders placed. Um, And most of it, you know, there's I don't I don't like to look for people to blame. Um, you know, everyone played a part in this. Uh, you know, For a long time as a child growing up, uh, I was very angry at my mother for allowing this, for being weak. Um, you know, I thought as, as a mother you should be self-sacrificing and, and um, you know, I was removed from the home. I was taken away from the home at nine years old, separated from my brothers and sisters. Um, and I was sent to live, uh, bounced around through between my grandmother and, and other you know, it, it was just uh, moved around a lot, and, and you know, I'd visit my mother on the weekends, and and so I was for a long time. Uh, the things that were happening were, were told to me via telephone, or I'd go over on the weekends and see this stuff again and again. There were a lot of people that that played a role um, in, in the situation. You know, I don't think that anyone intended for anything like this to happen. Um, growing up and and hearing these uh you know the details of the things that were going on in the house that i was removed from um and then going back and visiting and and seeing the things that i was exposed to uh and you know like i said my my mother very loving um but she put a lot of the burden um on me Uh, she confided in me and i witnessed a lot of things i shouldn't have seen from um you know rape uh, of, of my mother in front of us to, to just beating her and myself, uh, you know, the kids, I mean, this was, these are just things that are hard to relive. They're, they're hard to, um, it's the only part of the story that's kind of hard to talk about. And, um, mostly because it's not just my story to tell. Um, and, and, you know, so I, I don't like to get too much into, uh, yep. the details. I'm not going to uh, ask
2: you to, to get into any of that stuff. Um, we can move on. And I do want to shift and talk about your time in prison. What, what that was like, you're, you're 18 years old at that time. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah. Where did you, which prison did you go to? Um, what was that? I mean, what was your initial, you know, initial reaction to prison
1: Uh, Well, uh, initially I was scared. Um, You know, I'd never been in trouble before. Um, And uh, you're 18 years old, 140 pounds, and you're white. Uh, Those things all, uh, you know, sort of put you in a box as soon as you walk in the door. uh, You're you're classified. And, um, you know, just the nature of that alone, uh, you're going to get um, tested and, and tried more than other people would. Um, and early on, uh, I, I uh, went to, uh, Lake Erie Correctional Institution in, in Konya, Ohio. Uh, and, uh, one of the things I had going for me is, is at 15 years old, uh, you know, I, I, had already had a son. My son was almost three years old at this time. Um, you know, I dropped out of high school, so I'd been living on the street for a good part of three years and, and by on the street, I mean, I, I rented Uh, slum apartments, uh, whatever I could get into that didn't require having a uh, driver's license or being 18 years old. So I got in wherever I could. And so I was streetwise. So I did have that uh, going in my favor. Um, But, uh, you know, there was the the initial part of my time was uh, was pretty violent. Uh, I was forced to defend myself from sexual advances. Um, And, uh, you know, at one point I, I had burned Earned another inmate with oatmeal, uh, and I was put in segregation for six months. My security was raised, and um, you know, that was not a good experience. I, half a year I spent in, in isolation. I had a Bible, I think they had some old Western novels with the pages ripped out, um, so there wasn't much to do. And, and while I was in there, I, I just sort of meditated. I read the Bible a few times. And, you know, I'm not religious, but uh, it uh, gave me. You know, I was always curious about what was what the stories were about and and you know I kept busy and when you get out and you're released into prison from segregation it's like you're being you feel free uh, you know it's a different season it's a different year uh, and and so from there uh, my bit went pretty smooth I was transferred um, to North Central Correctional institution and uh, it, that's where I spent the the rest of my time and the thing about prison is you know if you there's things that follow you you know Inmates know if if you snitch, they're gonna know no matter where you go. If you uh, are a child molester, they're gonna know wherever you go. And those are those are some things that you know, just um, sort of stigmas that will follow you. And and likewise, if you do violent things, those follow you too. And you know it builds credibility or reputation. Um, And at the uh, North Central, I was approached by the right people. Um, And uh, by people, I don't mean gangs or anything like that. It was just uh, an older guy uh, and, um, called him big rich. Uh, he was a power lifter back from the eighties. And, um, you know, he, he had heard about me from a friend and and so he got me working out and I spent the majority of my time, um, exercising, uh, eating healthy. And I I started reading books. I'd never read books before. So, um, I had a book given to me. Um, it was by my bunkie, uh, who was uh, an older guy. Um, Mr. Woods, we called him. And uh, he saw me reading this book <clears throat> by Stephen Covey, Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. And it's a popular book, and I liked it. Uh, but he laughed at the book, and he asked me if I wanted to read anything uh, with real meaning, you know, let him know. And I asked him what he had, and he gave me um, the Dialogues of Plato. Um, you know, I was not educated, and so it took me a long time to sort of read this stuff paragraph by paragraph and, and you know, interpret the uh, the Greek translations. But um, it... Opened my eyes to a different way of thinking, and I fell in love with philosophy. And from that point on, for the rest of the years I was there, I, I read every book I could get my hands on—Victor Frankel, Thomas More, Shakespeare, Aristotle—all of them. I mean, I just—I I took to reading. And as I read these things, um, it changed the way that I saw myself, my place in this world, my purpose. Um, and overall, it began to sort of develop this way of thinking of, of treating the the people around me according to their potential and that would create a, a better reality around me. And, uh, so, you know, I went and I got my GED, uh, and after I got that, I started tutoring and helping other, uh, young juvenile offenders from 18 to 21, uh, read and get their GEDs. Um, and then I started attending the college classes that were in there. Um, and all I had the time to offer was small business management. So that's what I t- took and, and it sort of made my time go by quick. And, uh, you know, most of it. I, you know, I, I met some good people. I, I saw good people there. I saw bad people there. Um, and you know, after seeing prison and seeing university and seeing, you know, the city streets and suburbs and countryside, and there's good and bad people everywhere. And there, there's no real difference, um, except that the system that's in place, you know, the, the the regulatory system is just different. But the hearts of people are the same everywhere you look. So.
2: That's, that's really profound. And, you know, it, what you just said there about your whole story there and really taking ownership of the direction you want your life to go in. And that's a common theme that I hear a lot of people like yourself who have come on this show who have been able to really find, use prison as a, as a tool to change their life, to set themselves up for a situation where they're able to have success after prison because a lot of the times, you know, there, there are, as you mentioned, there are some resources that the prison, the prison system does offer you, and you were lucky enough to have some some mentors. Uh, you, you talked about your your bunkie and uh, and the uh, the power lifter, Big Rich, who, uh, who who helped you out and took you took you under his wing and got you lifting weights. But I mean, you very easily could have you know turned those guys away and and say you didn't want to lift weights or, or you didn't want to read. It took something inside you. To, to want to do that, to want to change, to want to become better. So I think you deserve a, a lot of credit for that, for taking uh, th- that initial step. And I mean, uh, y- your story is is incredible. Everything you went through as a as a child to living on the street to then uh, spending this time in, in
0: prison. Um, it's just a a great story. I know many of you are facing major decisions with your healthcare right now, and I want to make sure that you know about an amazing alternative to your standard corporatized health insurance known as Health Excellence Plus. Health Excellence Plus is an incredible program that helps you keep medical costs under control by taking charge of your own health care and not leaving all the decisions about what doctors you see and what procedures you need or don't need up to some corporate bureaucrat. Along with providing 24-7 access to medical professionals, tax-deferred health savings accounts, and preventative care, Health Excellence Plus empowers you to finally take control of your health care. To learn more, head on over to lionsofliberty.com health, or call the special hotline for Lions of Liberty listeners at 855-290-4447. Be sure to mention Lions of Liberty.
2: And I want to ask you next about once you get out of prison. So eventually you ended up, um, eventually you got into um, Indiana U- University of Pennsylvania, right? Yes. How much, yeah. what, what was the time frame, what was the time frame there?
1: So uh, a few years. Um getting out. I had a sweatsuit and, and a bag of pictures to my name. Uh, I had the uh, chance to file for early release and I decided not to. I decided to do all the days that were assigned to me to do. Um, and when I was released, I had uh, worked out with a lawyer to be placed in Pennsylvania so that I could be closer to my son. I wanted to reestablish a relationship with him and be close to him here in Pennsylvania. So um, here I was uh, and I, I really had nothing to my name. Um, I had got a job through my father. Uh, It was for a window siding and roofing company. And um, I worked in marketing and sales there for them. And it was the only place I could find that wouldn't require a background check because, you know, my dad worked there. So um, that was one opportunity that a lot of people don't get to have uh, coming out. And uh, during that time, I slept in the janitor. I don't say closet. It was more like a storage room pretty big. Uh, I had a cot and after work I slept there and I showered and washed myself in the sink Um, and I saved my paychecks until uh, I was able to afford a car and I bought a car and then I slept in my car. Uh, And, you know, from from there, you know, I I got girlfriends and sort of stayed in their places and, and kept working until I had financial stability. I had credit. I was able to put my name on things. Um, where I started to run into problems was, you know, trying to find a place to live. That was always difficult. Many landlords, they want not only credit checks, but they want background checks and, um, nobody, anyone who asks for a background check, uh, when you have a, a felony like mine, you already know what the answer is going to be because there's a reason that they're asking for it. They wouldn't go out of their way to do a background check if they didn't plan on, uh, discluding people who had that type of background. So. Um, you know, I've never once had a background check, ran and then got accepted no matter what it was. So I, I always know that that's an instant uh, rejection. Um, so, but I always went through it, and I, you know, I was always honest. I never, I never lied. Um, I, I, you know, I always felt to lead with that, that way it was the only way to take power away from it. Um, and so, uh, you know, working in sales for a long period of time, I ended up getting laid off when the company turned slow and I lost everything. Um, And before I had gotten out, I had dreams of of going to school and and I got very negative feedback from the people around me. They told me that I was living in a dream world, that that this life wasn't for us and I'm going to go find a landscaping job like everybody else. And, you know, I haven't been out of the system yet. So, you know, I can't talk. They would get upset that I was, you know, they'd been in and out of prison multiple times and they're telling me that I don't know what to expect out there. And, you know, my dreams are going to get crushed. Uh, So, you know, that sort of lit a fire in me to prove everybody wrong and prove this wrong and and life can be what you, you know, you want to create. And and this is, you know, I started believing in these these laws that I was reading about over the years. So um, I I wanted to go to college and and I wanted to uh, apply myself. Um, So I, I, you know, I I made a choice um, that I was given a second chance at life. And I just wanted to just go all out and, and contribute everything I could contribute to this world and, and be everything I could be for my family, uh, for myself, for my country, for the world. And, and that you know, I don't, didn't really have a family growing up. And so um, my way of, of sort of giving my life meaning it, it was, was in the service of other people. I, I needed to create a need for myself. And, and so that's what I was trying to do and still am. Um, and uh, so I, I went to a few universities and I was turned away. Uh, Indiana University of Pennsylvania also turned me away um and i
2: just to just to uh, clarify they turned you away because of the the felony on the felony on your record or was it not yes
1: reason? Initial, okay. uh, initially yes uh and and so uh there are also other hurdles like uh trying to get your ged records from prison and all these other things just make it so difficult um you have to the, you know there's a series of essays and, and so sort of, i was just getting spun and uh you know so i, I went back and i said listen I know, you know, there's a process to this. I said, but I, I really want this, and uh, I know that there's a human being responsible for making this decision. And if I'm given the opportunity to speak for this person, to speak to this person and articulate myself, um, I feel confident that they'll make the decision to let me come to school here. Uh, and so that's what they did. They put in a request, and I, I spoke to the dean of admissions. And uh, she's a very kind woman. We, we sat and we, we talked the way we're talking now. She listened to my story, and she wanted to know why. Uh, I wanted this. And, and so I, you know, I told her um, and she's been my biggest supporter over the past five years. And, and I've been, you know, one of the most academically decorated students that has uh, passed through IUP. So um, hopefully she feels very proud of her decision. And, and I'm forever thankful and grateful for that opportunity. Um,
2: That's awesome. When are you on track to graduate?
1: So uh, I'm able to graduate now um, and I I have a degree finished in environmental geoscience. Uh, My degree in applied mathematics is mostly finished. Um, Next semester would be my last semester. Uh, However, uh, because of my felony convictions, I'm unable to graduate and move forward. Um, If you're familiar with uh, Jerry Sandusky and and sort of the things that happened with that. I'm
2: very, um, very familiar with that case.
1: Yeah. So the uh, the response from Pennsylvania was to you know, pass this blanket law that said, OK, well, to make sure this never happens again, we need to do background checks on every single person, whoever comes on this campus and any campus in the state of Pennsylvania. Um, the problem with that is Jerry Sandusky wasn't a felon to begin with. And, and so, you know, this new thing that they're doing would have n- never prevented that situation from happening in the first place. Um, what it is doing is taking people like me. And preventing me uh, in a lot of ways. So um, you know, it wasn't like I got accepted to IUP and was happily ever after. Um, Being here, I wasn't able to rent uh, an apartment in the city, and so I slept in the science lab for six months. And you know, I had money in my book bag, and I slept in my car. I slept in the science lab, and I showered in the gym. Um, You know, did my laundry at the laundromat, and most people didn't know. The janitors knew, and you know, they didn't say anything, but oh, that's embarrassing. And um, it was frustrating because I had the money, you know, and I was turned down multiple times by landlords here. And uh, I just couldn't get a couldn't get a shake. And at that point, you know, I questioned, what am I doing? Maybe, you know, am, am I crazy? Should I just go back to work somewhere and, and find an, a place where they're not going to do background checks and get out of here? This isn't for me. Um, you know, and I, I just thought sometimes life will ask, you, you know, how bad do you really want it? And, and so that was one of those moments that I that was a that was a turning point for me. And I just decided to push forward and push through that. Uh, eventually, I got a place. And, uh, you know, so that worked out. But it was just one of the things um, you know, that I remember going through and thinking, you know, this is just this sucks. And no wonder why so many people don't even try this. Um, you know, who wants to be homeless? So uh, at this stage, uh, if I graduate, uh, I'm unable to be licensed as a geologist. Um, and that's what I would have my degree in. Uh, and so without my professional geologist license, every every geology job in Pennsylvania wants a background check, so I wouldn't get hired. I would immediately have to start repaying my loans, and I wouldn't be able to do that, so I couldn't get employed. Um, and my goals from the beginning was to go on to a Ph.D. And initially, my you know my ending point is not as a geologist. This is sort of a stepping stone into engineering. Uh, my passion is in agriculture and irrigation engineering. I'm interested in variable rate irrigation. Uh, I want to... Um, work on uh, designing irrigation systems in countries who suffer from water scarcity. And if I'm able to use less pumping power and use less water, uh, they're able to grow more crops with the water that they have and feed a greater number of people. And, and you know, looking in countries like Somalia, Ethiopia, Kenya. Um, so, you know, those are all uh, places that are, that are really struggling to deal with the, the effects of climate change. And, and, and
2: how did you just out of curiosity, how did you get passionate about that?
1: Uh, so it it was sort of evolved. Uh, when I thought about going to school, I said, I want to do something that makes a difference. And so I looked into earth science and I looked into climate change. Um, and the more, the more I studied, the more I sort of, uh, got pulled to. So science is sort of the brain. And I I think of engineering as the arm. Um, and I I was very interested in hands on going over into areas that people genuinely didn't, I guess, I identify as sort of an undesirable and I know what it's like to be discriminated against and, and sort of not wanted from, you know, different points in my life. And I know those feelings and, you know, I think about that there are whole countries of people like that who are taken advantage of and not wanted and sort of abandoned. And um, I, I want to, uh, I, I don't know, maybe maybe give my own suffering meaning by taking what I've experienced and and sharing my what I've learned and my knowledge and my contribution to other people so that they, too, can realize their potential. I guess uh, going to the people who need it most is sort of what pulled me into engineering. Um, And uh, so that's the direction I'm going Uh, And So while I'm here, uh, I'm forced to stay as an undergraduate student for another two and a half years while I wait for this pardon. Um, you know, I, this process takes a while, and what, uh, so what I'd,
2: is the process with the pardon? I know that there's a petition out yeah. there now. Um, sure. What's, so uh, what's the, yeah, what's the number of signatures you need, and how does it all work?
1: Well, I, you know, this is all my sort of idea. Uh, I, I guess it's it's my canvas to paint. Uh, my job is just to make a case uh, to the Ohio Parole Board um, that I am um, I am worth pardoning. Uh, they'll make a recommendation after reading all of the letters from my professors. Um, I have a few uh, politicians who have agreed to um, give me their support. Um, House Representative Dave Reed, uh, Senator Don White, um, are are two uh, you know sort of advocates for me. Um, I worked with Senator Don White a couple years ago. I founded a nonprofit organization. Um, I read an article about Boko Haram in Nigeria. And uh, I read about, you know, sort of these kids who were unable to uh, go to school and have access to educational materials. And I looked around and said, well, I got thousands of books around here that are just sort of dusty and not being used with good knowledge in them. And uh, so I went and started collecting books and I reached out to uh, the Newman Book Center who sort of has this flea market book sale every year and they have a hundred thousand books that were left over. And so all of a sudden I ended up with a hundred thousand books and i was like oh sh-, you know that's a lot for me to take care of. so i had to go out and figure out how to found a non company and do all this stuff and so we successfully in the story we successfully shipped uh, over a hundred thousand books to nigeria and it worked out great and uh, so that sort of gave me a a new um energy or a new momentum to say hey this stuff can work one person can really make a difference and you know i i sort of pushed me and and um You know, this is sort of a a lull for me right now. Uh, It's a waiting game. And uh, so to make my time useful, I've decided to pick up uh, a third degree in environmental engineering. Um, IUP just brought it on. Uh, I'll be the first student to take a class in the environmental engineering, and I'll probably be the first student to graduate in it because I have 130 credits. So I'm only nine classes away from another degree in engineering. So I'll leave here essentially with three uh, bachelor degrees. Uh, hopefully, with my restored name, um, I have, uh, for example, uh, interest from professors at Penn State University who um, want to accept me but are unable to accept me uh, because I cannot be an employed uh, graduate assistant. Um, oh, you asked about the uh, the pardon uh, process. After the parole board makes a decision, they're going to look at all the evidence. They're going to they're going to have a hearing and hear my story everything I can provide them. The petition is, is a huge, uh, I think, uh, contribution to this because these are people who don't know me. Um, this is the general public, uh, and the general public, uh, that is who elects these officials. And so if I can show governor Kasich that, you know, uh, this is a random selection of my peers, thousands of people who, um, are, are looking objectively at my life and, and this is how they feel and, and they voted for you. And, and, you know, I, so I think that's an important part uh, because anyone's mom is going to say, oh, my son's great. You know, I, <laughs> that's not as special, I think, as, as um, the, the opinion of the public. And that's why I've decided to be very transparent about this, because if, if I'm asking for the forgiveness, that's essentially what this is uh, from society. I, I need to be transparent about the whole thing. And that's what I'm, I'm trying to do uh,
2: yeah. So, what what can my audience do to to directly help you? Because there's there's thousands of people that listen to this show that will will jump at the chance to help someone like yourself. So, what can they do right now to help you?
1: Sure, absolutely. Uh, uh, writing letters to Governor Kasich uh, would be very helpful. Um, also, signing uh, my petition and and commenting any any feelings or thoughts that they have on this would also be very helpful. It's uh Care two C A R E two petitions, and my name is Aaron David Seidel. That's S E I D E L. Uh, and so, if you were to just Google search Care two petitions, uh, full pardon for Aaron Seidel, uh, it would come up, and um, you know, there's a, a biography there um, that sort of briefly goes over everything, um, you know, but. Uh, you know, also you contact me through the, uh, through the petition site or I have a Facebook page as well. Um, and, you know, I, looking sort of bigger picture, I, I see, uh, you know, I, once I started really looking into it, there's over 20 million people living in this country who are going through the same thing. And the majority of them are quiet. You know, um, <clears throat> over six million people are disenfranchised or unable to vote. Um, that's literally taxation without representation, right? That's why this country was even founded. Um, I've done, you know, a lot of this research and it, and it turns out a lot of this sort of circles and centers around gun control and, um, you know, forcing people to carry these background checks for the rest of their life, discriminating against housing, employment. Um, my, my heart goes out and, and I hope that, uh, you know, I can make my name uh Make my voice heard in in a, in a way that I I can be a voice for other other people who are just starting and, and they may not have a voice yet. So, um, you know, I'm doing what one person can do, but ho- hopefully, you know, this sort of gains momentum. Uh this is a significant portion of the population. This is you know uh, 20 million people. It's like uh, the population almost of Pennsylvania worth of people who are unable to contribute.
2: Yeah, it's it's really staggering uh, when you think about it, and. Uh, but the majority of this country has no idea that, that this is going on. They're, they're c- completely in the dark. This, this is a serious problem. You have so many people like yourself that have this, this felon label just hung around their neck, dragging them down. And, you know, just, just like you said, almost everyone I talk to who's going through the same situation, the biggest problem is finding a place to live. And, you know, that's, that's got to be something that, that, we, that we can solve. Um, it just it just blows me away. And like you said, there are you obviously you can find places to live, but they're not going to be the maybe the safest place. You can't have your family there. Um so it's 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 not obviously not ideal. But you know, the reason I started this show, Aaron, uh, what one of the main reasons I started this show was to shine a light on situations just like yours. So I really want to encourage my listeners to and I'll link to it on the show notes page. I'm not going to read through the hyperlink now. Go to the show notes page, lions of, lionsofliberty.com/ff102. You'll find the link there to Aaron's petition. Go and sign it. Uh, you know, visit him on on Facebook. Uh, write Governor John Kasich. Tweet this interview to to Governor John Kasich. You know, let's let's uh, let's uh, amplify the injustice that is being done here. And the justice that is not only being done to, to Aaron, it's being done to, to felons all across this country. So um, Aaron, any, any party words or anything else you'd like, to, you'd like to point out before I let you go?
1: Uh, yeah, yeah, I just, uh, you know, I, I think that we need more awareness and, and more support for this. Um, I myself am, am sort of a poster child for doing everything you're supposed to do and I'm up against the fence. And I've, I've found the actual limits that society put uh, for felons. I'm, I'm really up against that fence. And, and so I'm, I'm showing it. Look, I did all the right things. I did everything. And here I am at this fence. And, and this isn't just, uh, you know, for sympathy or empathy. This uh, it will positively affect society as a whole. Letting, letting people like me realize their dreams and potentials, you know, that maximizes my tax paying dollars. That maximizes my good contribution to society and the people I'm willing to help. Rather than being a draw on on food stamps and and welfare and recidivism rates, um you know like I said, justice has more than one face, and I, I think that we should start thinking uh, more about the other faces than than just punishment so
2: well you're doing uh you're doing great work, Aaron, and I want to thank you for everything you're doing for other people. I mean you're doing this obviously for yourself, but um, this is raising awareness for. The plight of felons across this country. So thank you. And uh, thank you for coming on and sharing your story.
1: Thank you, John, very much.
2: Hope you guys enjoyed today's interview with Aaron David Seidel. Uh, Really an absolutely incredible story. And like I said at the outset of this show, very different than a lot of the stuff you've heard before. And on next week's podcast, I'm going to have A similar story. I'm going to have another violent offender on someone who you know made some past mistakes in their life, but has turned their life around. And I think that's very important. And to to talk about Aaron's story, I think it is very important to see someone like Aaron David Seidel um, look at the past. You know the past mistakes, and you know we didn't get into the details of the crime he committed and what exactly happened, but he did commit a violent crime. We talked about a lot of the Circumstances around that, the the abuse that he witnessed, the abuse that he uh, himself was subjected to, but but at the end of the day, he, he was sentenced to five years in prison, and he served his time, and he got out, and he's made himself into, he's made himself into a contributing member of society, someone who's ready to contribute, but unfortunately, the walls are still up around him. Uh, once you have that felon label on you, uh, especially when you have a, a violent A violent criminal act on your record, people aren't willing to listen. They're not willing to hear your story. Aaron deserves a huge amount of credit for being able to get everything done that he's done so far, getting his GED, going to technical school, getting into a college, and then he's going to graduate with with two degrees. And of course, he really is sort of waiting to graduate because he has ambitions to uh, go to graduate school and uh, get his PhD. So I really hope Aaron is able to do that. I want to challenge the Felony Friday listeners to go to the show notes page, allianceofliberty.com slash FF102. There's going to be a link that will take you to the petition on that page, and I want you to please consider signing it. And if you consider signing it and you sign it yourself, please pass on to other people. Please pass this podcast on to uh, your friends and family, your network's, it is a huge problem in society that once people go to prison, they serve their time. A, a lot of people, like Aaron, they become reformed and they come out even a better person. And th- they put work into themselves. They they work hard to turn themselves into the best person they can be, but they are still held back by that felon label. So... You know, things need to change, and the only way that we can change this is through education, guys. So I really want to encourage you to help to educate your friends and neighbors by sharing this show. Of course, sharing the show, that's a great way to help us grow this podcast. Another great way to help us grow this podcast is by going to lionsofliberty.com support and and joining our Lions of Liberty Pride. You can join the Pride at three levels. The... uh, Highest level is $25. So $25, you get a monthly conference call with us where you can actively participate in planning the show, ask us questions, bring up things you want us to talk about, anything you want to talk about. We talk about during that monthly conference call. Of course, you get free goodies there. You'll get some t-shirts. You'll get a koozie and, uh, and stuff like that. At that, The next level is $10. You don't get the call. You still get a free t-shirt. and You still get a koozie. You get access to the bonus material, all the exclusive content that we release, and of course, you get that at 25 as well, and at $5, just for $5 a month. You don't get the freebies, but you do get all the bonus content that we produce here at Lines of Liberty, and there is a lot of it, guys. We have a Conspiracy Theory Roundtable. Uh, the one was recorded recently. I wasn't on it, but I'm pretty sure they're going to be talking about Waco, which you know, I'm kind of bummed I wasn't able to make it to uh, contribute to that, that roundtable discussion because Waco is Waco has always been something that really fascinated me, and you know, really when I became a libertarian soon after, uh, I, I watched uh, Rules of Engagement about Waco, and that just really rattled me and, and woke me up to the uh, just the amount of evil that that uh, they can exist in the state. So. That's going to be a great conversation. The only way you're going to hear that is by joining the Lions of Liberty Pride at com slash support. That's all I have today, guys. I want to thank you for listening. I want to thank our our new listeners. Like I said at the beginning, we've been advertising on a couple different podcasts. So I want to encourage you, you you can check out the Felony Friday Archive at at felonyfriday.com. And if you want to hear just the episodes that I've recorded with uh felons with people who spend spent time in prison sharing their story. Then you then you can find all of those I made a separate uh, archive for that at slash felons So check those out. Uh, we appreciate all you guys listening. We appreciate your support. Thank you so much. This is John Odermatt signing off. Always remember to keep your head up and the fires of liberty burning.